to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you're doing well. And this is a podcast for you if you care deeply about coaching, doing deep transformational work with your clients, or you're just somebody that really cares about this majestic path of being a human being and the way we can grow and unfold into our own potential through our lives. And so today I'm going to be speaking with Marita Bolles and we're going to talk a lot about Whetstone, which is the graduate program that Marita runs every year for coaches. I'll just read something from her website. It says, Whetstone is not for the faint of spirit. It's a year-long development course for coaches and leaders committed to delivering high-level services for their clients and communities as a form of their highest self-expression. It is, in effect, a graduate program for people looking for continuing development with peers who are also experts. And the program assumes you are living a life of purpose and commitment and is designed to sharpen your sword so you can be the best you can be at this point in your evolution. That's a pretty good description of the program. Should be. Marita wrote it herself. So we're going to talk about this program. We'll talk about some key distinctions in it, such as you as phenomena, you as service in relationship for spirit, you and measurements, and you and the unknown. Those are some really interesting distinctions, I think. So a few more words about Marita. She has been a professional coach since 2002. She's trained coaches and leaders within an International Coach Federation accredited training program. And she now coaches leaders, teams and individuals on their professional and personal development. She's also a practicing artist, has an MA and a PhD in music and an MFA in visual art. And we'll kind of weave that in today. I think you get a, a rich sense of the artistry that Marita brings to this work. And so, just like a safety announcement on aeroplane, please listen as I share this, I say it often, but if you would be willing to share this podcast, I'd be really grateful. Any of the podcasts for Coaches Rising, I want to just get the word out to as many coaches as possible. And if you feel like leaving a review, uh, you can do so. If you're not on our mailing list, you can head to coachesrising.com on that homepage there, scroll down and you'll join our community and hear about things that are not this podcast. All right, so let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Marita Bolles. So Marita, it's good to be with you. How's Thanks things for today with you? Things are great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Glad to be cool. here. Well, I'm, yeah, we met for the first time a few weeks ago through a mutual friend, Poku, and mm-hmm. uh, he spoke really highly of you. So I, um, I'm really excited to have this conversation today. We're going to talk about the work you do as a coach. And also you have a program for coaches called Whetstone, yes. which I got really intrigued by when I looked at that. So I'd like to yeah, explore what, what that is and how it serves coaches. So Great. how does that all sound? Sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, just to ask you first, just to maybe share a little bit of like, what is the work you do? Like, what's your background? Mm -hmm. And we need to kind of get on the same page. Sure. So um, I'm trained as an ontological coach. Um, I did a training in a company called Accomplishment Coaching back in 2002. And during that time, I was also very involved with landmark education and the work of uh, Werner Erhard. I did the forum back in 1995, and I did many programs with that as well. So um, Accomplishment Coaching, the founders of Accomplishment Coaching both also had a lineage through Landmark and Werner Mm. in some direct or indirect way. So um, so I'm pretty steeped in that kind of a conversation or that kind of a perspective. And in addition to that, I'm a musician and an artist and have lots of degrees in music and art and make music and art and uh, find that basically my brain creates in coaching and music and art pretty similarly. Like it's all like the same stuff, but coming out in different forms or different kinds of ways. So the stuff that I'm committed to gets to be expressed in many different modalities. Yeah. I actually get really curious about that. Do you, do you have a sense of like what, what's underneath each of those three disciplines that's the same thing? Um, sure. Well, one thing is, I would say just who I'm being about it, which is just, um, well, all three of those things are inherently creative to me. 
you know, like the coaching conversation is a very creative conversation and you're really mm, engaged in a process, which is dynamic, like where you're, whether it's creating one's life or creating a piece of art, you're like, as John Dewey says, you are doing and undergoing, like you're doing the thing, but you're also experiencing the thing. So you're responsive to the thing as you're doing it. And as you're under, you're perceiving it while you're creating it. Right. So in the coaching process, it's the lived experience. You know, we can talk about a project or an idea, but when you do it, you're actually living the experience. You're having that experience. And it's the same with art, of course. I mean, more so even with art because we relate to art experientially. Like you go to hear music to have that experience, you know? So there's a real similarity for me. And also um, my work delights me. And that's sort of a place where I come from in both areas. <laughs> so just sort of following whatever is most delightful or amusing to me as an idea or as a pursuit, you know, mm. it's, it's good. Like there's not like a, a way of being about music. I used to be much seri more serious about music, for example. And that was different than sort of how I was as coaching or like there was sort of like these different sort of buckets or containers but the more I've done it, they sort of have all blurred together and become much more integrated. So. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's really cool because I've been reflecting on how, um, for me at least, the, the value in not being kind of ensconced within one field, but mm -hmm. the kind of multidisciplinary or multi-perspectival um, approach that that actually they all begin to inform each other and expand Absolutely. me so I become more fluid I think that's so important in our times truly and I think we're living in a time which is that way like there used to be such a focus on specialization and even when I was composing like it was really like you couldn't do anything else but compose like it occupied all of your mind and all of your time and all of your energy and then a few years ago, you know, so when I got another art degree, I went back and got an MFA in my 40s. And I, there was a different person who ran that program. And he was interdisciplinary. And he was a poet and a video artist and an activist and a teacher. And he talked about how his, how his pedagogy was as informed by aesthetics as anything else that he did. And I was like, finally, like somebody who speaks my language. And like in that program, there were all of these interdisciplinary people. And it was a very different experience than when I got my doctorate. And, uh, and it just sort of gave me permission to really allow these areas to inform, not just like as my dirty little secret, like, oh my gosh, these things connect, but more like, hey, clients and hey, people, hey, coaches, like we can actually get so much value from cross-fertilization. Mm. It's really useful. And um, just before I ask you about whetstone, mm -hmm. um, the you used the word delight as well, and I think that also is a, an interesting kind of energy, isn't it? Um, and I can relate to that myself. Um, mm -hmm. I find that that is something that's guiding my inquiry into these different areas. Sure. Um, and what what what's that experience like for you? That experience of delight is it? Does it have a kind of intelligence to it? <laughs> I or not, so. maybe not sometimes when it's not. <laughs> I think so. I think I think I, I've created sort of a, a a discerning delight. Like I can tell when something is not delighting me. <laughs> and then I will uh, um, tweak it or adjust it or abandon it or what have you, given that um, I don't know, I just I feel much more relaxed when I'm in a delighted and amused space in general. And that has me be more present. You can't be delighted if you're checked out or <laughs> stressed out or scared. Like there's just like all these ways of being that you cannot be uh, or that would make being delighted impossible, I guess. And it's really just like, it's not even like a goal. It's just sort of who I am, like as a default kind of essential way of being that I have. And the more aware, I, it used to be something I kind of took for granted or it was sort of just in the background or a personality trait. And then as I've built more self-awareness, I'm like, actually, this is a true North. Like this is a way to, to align myself with my commitments. And this is a way to pursue things by checking in with like what actually delights me. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I find it, it's kind of got a kind of like connoisseur type mm -hmm. energy in my experience where I'm like savoring what mm -hmm. I'm doing. And that reveals 
the depths and the distinctions of my Entirely. experience. Right. Well, you want to play with it. You want to be with it. You want to explore it. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it it's, it's so inviting. Um, well, you know, uh, one of the things we'll talk about today is whetstone. I'm sure we're going to talk more about ontological coaching too, mm -hmm. but um, like what is whetstone? <laughs> yeah. Well, whetstone, <laughs> whetstone in, in fact, whetstone is a year long program for coaches. It's a seminar. And the content of the seminar is that we read um, different materials from different cultures and times and disciplines, like what we're talking about. And that all of these different, um, speaking of curation, they're curated to speak to one of four different topics, which is you as phenomenon or the lived experience, you and spirit, you and measurements, or like concrete reality, and uh, you and possibility. And the intention was to have a place. So coaches, my experience of coaches is that we, we get trained and we do stuff, we develop ourselves, and then we kind of take a break from that. And we do coaching and we, and we become thought leaders or whatever it is that we do, we become creative. But there's like not really a place to go back from a more advanced perspective and rekindle or revisit those fundamental inquiries. And I found that you know, as I was advancing as a coach and being with other coaches, there became sort of like a, like an ontological laziness, even like, you know, just sort of like we get so smart about transformation and we know how to do it in a sense, like it almost becomes more like a skill. And therefore we don't necessarily have the spaciousness to like sink in and revisit these kinds of inquiries and really check in on a deeper level. That, that, um, just to interrupt you, that really grabs my attention, what you're saying. Now, I don't know if you're about to expand on it, but I, I do want to ask you um, like, what you mean about that ontological laziness around transformation. I think I, I really get a, a taste of it, but I, mm -hmm. I, I think you're going to reveal some of these distinctions to me. Like, what, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, um, so the ch I would say that a challenge in being transformed or practicing transformation is always around authenticity, right? And are we being authentic with ourselves and others? And as ontological coaches, we learn like, for example, to be at choice or like to distinguish who we're being and choose who we're being. Like there ends up being like a lot of ways to sort of like choose your way from one way of being to another way of being, for example. So like mm, right. um, without necessarily looking at like, what was that first way of being? Like, what was actually going on there? And so it becomes a little bit of a shortcut. You know, sort of like, I can do the slim fast diet or I can eat right and exercise. And as coaches, you know, like, like are we always eating right and exercising? Are we actually doing the work that we need to be doing when we get very good at just sort of like, because we can be very smart, like, oh, I'm just being like this. Oh, I'll just choose that. And now I'm mm. generating something else. And the challenge is that, you know, what I noticed as a coach of other coaches is that that wasn't always um, authentic. Like it yeah. kind of handled something in the moment, but it didn't actually handle the fundamental inauthenticity. So um, like actually doing that deeper work, you know, so whetstone is an invitation to actually be in that space. And is that like kind of like where we develop a kind of identity as a transformational totally, totally. practitioner? Yeah, exactly. And therefore that suddenly is the thing that comes to the foreground whenever right. we experience this, whatever it is. And then, you know, that's actually, but it has a superficiality to it as, mm -hmm. as well. Maybe it has a depth to it, mm -hmm. but it can also become like um, habituated. Totally. Right. Because part of transformation is being on the unknown or like is stepping into possibility. So, um, yeah, so we get very good. I mean, we get really masterful at skills, which makes sense. But then, you know, where do we, where can we have like a beginner's mind again? You know, where can we make mistakes again? Where can we just consider things, reconsider things? Um, you know, we have a relationship to possibility. Does that become a fixed relationship to possibility? Does possibility become performative? See, I see this all the time. Possibility is a performative thing. It's like, no, possibility is, it's gonna, can I swear here? 
You can swear as much as you like. Yeah. Possibility is going to fuck you up, right? If it's not, if it's not fucking you up, then like it's not actually a possibility. Like we got to like, it's going to create something. It's going to like have you have a real experience, which is going to touch you and move you. So, um, you know, what are we talking about when we talk about possibility? When it becomes like an abstract concept, right? So, um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I just think I want to underline everything you just said, because I mm -hmm. think this is gold, you know, mm -hmm. um, what you're pointing to that because um, I because as immediately I can see with my, my own life where that becomes the case, you know, and how even maybe it's even more. I don't ever want to say dangerous, but like, you know, um, what's I don't know the word I'm looking for, but um, with transformation, you know, we read a bit, we learn a bit mm -hmm. and suddenly we're, you know, we kind of think we know more than we do, or <laughs> it, you know, it, it sort of becomes habituated and yeah. then we're not really in that authentic journey that you're talking about. So I think that's, that's beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. and I guess I'm curious then how you invite coaches beyond that you know or to come to to see that and then move mm -hmm. through that yeah it's um you know whetstone is a very it's a very spacious program it's not like when i in the early days of my transformation i mean there is such like a red pill blue pill thing going out like you know there, you sort of have to have a breakthrough to get that you are not your identity or like to see yourself separate from like to see your story separate from yourself and that takes like some real work, but then the coaches that I'm working with, they, they can already do that. So it's not like a, like pounding on your construct kind of a program. It's more like, we've already pounded on your construct. You know what your construct is. Like you've done lots of work. So whetstone is intended to be much more spacious. It's like a, there are many metaphors to whetstone. One of them is, you know, floating on a lake. You're just floating. And we're having conversations. The conversations aren't designed to have you, like if you, if you arrive someplace, great, great. Like, or you can just be in the inquiry. Like the inquiry is the point of the conversation. It's not like to arrive necessarily someplace with it. And um, so it's a very, um, you know, like there's someone in Whetstone right now who's having a breakthrough simply in how she's doing Whetstone because she keeps making it very task-based and busy. And it's like, no, like that's totally missing the, the being. The opportunity here is to not have it occur that way, you know, like to actually have it occur as a place where you get to relax and just um, be in an inquiry. So there's that aspect of it. Um, there's also a very important team aspect to it the, that the participants um, relate to each other as masterful coaches, which is fun because like in earlier programs, there is so much work in like that thing I was talking about, about separating your construct from yourself, if you will. Um, and they'll be like, you're, you know, you're an asshole, which, you know, I get like, we're all assholes kind of a thing. But now like in this program, it's all about your greatness. Like there's just no tolerance for the bullshit because why do that? Like, haven't we done enough to have to like tolerate bullshit one more time? So there's a real orientation of the team to one another, like really holding each other as their highest expression and that the team be, so my metaphor for the team is that they're like a box of puppies, you know, like they're just all like in a box together and loving each other up and playing together and um, enjoying the process together. Like there's no, again, there's no like goal with the team. The team is not there to perform any other function except to be supportive and loving of one another and to sort of witness each other as their greatest selves. So um, yeah, the, the, it's, a, it's a more um, feminine program, I would say, in terms of that it's non-linear and the themes are very interwoven. Um, it doesn't have a linear trajectory. There's, um, there's a second whetstone program which does have a linear trajectory. It's not that it's more masculine, but it's built on, um, planks mm. um it establishes a plank and then it creates another plank and then another each quarter um whetstone one is uh not that whetstone one is um we visit a topic we put it down we visit it we put it down we visit it we put it down so that it's sort of like 
it isn't, it is very symphonic to me. <laughs> like there are motives that occur and that sort of really come like the entire experience is perceived at the end of the piece really because then mm. you get the totality of the piece right just to tie back whetstone to the inquiry there is how do we love the world and the reason why there are planks is because it's a lot harder like that program takes a lot more work we actually have to establish things in order to get to the next inquiry because right. um, not a, that's not a place where a lot of coaches have hung out so yeah yeah well, I really, really like, so I feel like perhaps we've been through a hyper-masculine phase anyway, um, <laughs> when we, um, uh, you know, approach our own development or mm. just in the whole field in general. Mm-hmm. And so um, I like this idea of spaciousness and, and non-linearity mm-hmm. in the sense of um, perhaps it's then undermining that part of us that might want to make it, you know, into mm. that kind of... Um, well, use it to bolster up the the developmental self, the coach right, self. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know. Totally. Um, I, I got curious about those. I think you named four, um, like, what you call them, domains. Like yeah. The U.S. phenomena. I've forgotten that there's U.S. U.S. measurement. I think you said. And it's actually yeah, concrete US, world. Yeah, measurements, phenomenon, measurements, spirit, and possibility are the four domains of the program. Yeah. Yeah. Would you be willing to just share what they are and why you decided to break it down into those? It seems like you did that for a, a good reason. So, you, you know, it's pretty inspired. So Whetstone One was created in a weekend. I was inspired to do it and I sat down and I put together the curriculum. <laughs> and I just, I had all the literature, I had all the readings. I just, I just saw the entire thing and just put it together. And it seemed... Um, so there was not a lot of thought into like, hmm, what are the things that coaches need to be thinking about? It was more like, this is what coaches need to be thinking about these four things. And, um, and they're all very interconnected. So, um, the phenomenon part is to get us. So I'm not an ontological scholar, though I dabble in scholarship and, If you do read Heidegger, there is a conversation about ontology and phenomenology and the relationship between the two. Now, for me, ontology is a very head-based conversation and phenomenology is a much more embodied conversation. So I'm interested in phenomenology so that we can, for ontological coaches, so we can kind of move sort of the being conversation out of the language part of it and into the experiential part of it, right? And then there's um, measures because I just have a, I guess, a philosophy that physical reality is useful and (laughs) important for coaches, you know, so that we're always grounded in like what is so and what the facts are, but also that how we relate to measures can be very creative, like measurements. It's not just data. Mm. Um, measurements inform us and reality informs us. And, uh, you know, I'm really blessed because my father was a cross country coach and he was a brilliant coach. And I have documents of his lessons. He would give his runners these coaching documents every day, which would tie measures. Like he would have historical measures of that team for the past 15 years running that race with those competitors tracking where they've been and where they are, and then place the individual runners on this year's team inside of that context, pointing to how they're moving towards a team experience. He coached cross country as a team sport, not as an individual sport in pursuit of excellence. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing was tied up as one ecosystem. And with measures we do, we can be so like fixated on like, am I making the money? Did I hit the goal? Did I hit the deadline? Like, what is the, like, how much do I weigh? Like, what is the measure? What is the measure? But to start to get to measures inside of like that, this isn't about a measure. I mean, this is about an entire like growing edge conversation. This is about an entire self-development conversation. So that's the measurement piece. <laughs> Can I ask a question before yeah, you go into the other two? Cause yeah. um, I'm actually quite curious about, um, well, 
you said like uh, moving the being conversation into phenomenology mm-hmm. into I, I got this sense of a more um, phenomenological embodied experience mm-hmm. and I, I'm kind of curious what that makes possible and then um, kind of like weaving how that then can kind of fits with this world of measurement that you mm-hmm. you talk about the concrete world as well sure. um, but maybe just starting with like what becomes possible when we when we you know move into that um, that phenomenological embodied experience. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, one of the um, threads in Whetstone is that we're alive. <laughs> like the first, the first assignment is when did you decide to live? And we do a reading called "Deciding to Live" by this um, poet named uh, Dorothy Allison. It's a preface to her book called Trash, and um, and so it's really about that you're alive you know, as I like to say, you're born, you have an experience and you die. So it's really fundamental to our humanity that we're living, we're living, we're alive and we're having an, an experience, which um, as the further you go down the ontological route is a more created experience. You know, you really are designing, you're creating your experience of your life. So the connection really is that um, like, you know, are you alive? Like, are you fully alive? Are you alive how you want to be alive? Are you living the life that you choose to live? Like that is the fundamental phenomenon. Like you're just experience of being alive. And the measures, you know, concrete reality is very much a part of our experience of being alive because we're physical, you know, time-spaced based creatures, right? Perceptual creatures. And, um, So getting some, you know, and I guess this is also informed by being an artist. I mean, that makes this so much easier because artists use their imagination all of the time to create things in physical reality. I mean, that's like, so as to have a phenomenological experience, like that's art 101, right? (laughs) Like, you know, to be able to refine your skill sets, to be able to do that for another person so that they experience what you intended them to to have, like Mm. they have the experience you intended them to have through whatever mode you are making the medium, right? Mm. But now it's like, you're the artist and your life is the art. And are you experiencing the thing that you wanted to experience if you create that intentionally? Can can I ask you about that? I find that a brilliant um, inquiry. And uh, (laughs) let me see if I can articulate what comes up for me um, Mm -hmm. before I lose it. Uh, I, I guess I'm curious, like what comes out of that inquiry um and i know that it would be probably very different for each person but um you know i guess i'm thinking about my own life where i'm living into an inquiry around like what is the life i want to be living Mm -hmm. but inside of that it's like um there's the life i want to be living and the life i'm living Mm -hmm. and um how much is it about becoming more conscious and being able to create the life I want as mm-hmm. opposed to letting go of my resistance to the life that I have in a way that allows it to become the life that I want. <laughs> um, you know, does this make sense? And then yeah. I get that in a way, like, you know, what you said earlier about, yeah, this programs for coaches that have done a lot of that work where they've, you know, um, they're not able to perhaps see the, the kind of narrated, mm habituate itself mm-hmm. the words you described it but um anyway I just want to see like what comes up for you if I share that if anything yeah, I don't know that there's there's a either or there but um it's more like what's there's the life you want to be having so it's more like what is the experience you want to be having right like moving into the experience that you want to be that's having. that's beautiful because that's really it isn't it yeah because yeah. that's and it's a different because the life you want to be having can be an idea mm-hmm. and it tends to be very egoic in nature. Well, the life I want to be having is to be like, you know, some version, you know, like my thing is um, the woman who wakes up at 5 a.m. and does yoga and drinks tea looking at the sunrise. Like every woman wants that and no morning looks that way. Right? You know, like we're all like hitting the snooze button and our kids are running around. or something. There's the life we want to be living, but it's more like, well, what's the experience that you want to be having? Right. How do you move to that? And, and really like, even with coaches who I coach, like they'll design projects, which is about a life that they want to be living, which is not the same as the experience that they want to be having. 
Because even us coaches have an idea, an egoic idea of what life should look like, right? Exactly, right. <laughs> and, and like yeah. that may or may not actually have anything to do with how, like the experience we want to be having. So then how do we actually discern that before we spend six months working on an egoic idea and actually like get much quicker about the authenticity piece and being like, well, this is the experience that I want to be having. And then having that be your experience, not later, but now, like that you're actually then creating that experience and having it, doing I, and I undergoing. Is, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is quite profound, yeah, because it, it can take, as I hear that, it, I imagine it takes us out of the um, projecting that there's a life one day that I'll reach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I, if I do everything right, I'll get there. But actually, no, there's a way that I can have an experience right now and um, how how do you invite coaches into clarifying that you know that that authenticity you just described mm-hmm. so that they're like oh this is actually it you know well it's usually um, apparent in their speaking like um, like a coach will be creating some project for their business and then they'll say almost as an aside, like, but what I actually want to be doing is writing this book. And, you know, and some, or like, what I love to do is teach, what I love to do is group, do group coaching. And their project has no group coaching. in it. Simple as that. What I love to do is X. And then like, whatever they're actually doing does not include X. It's like, what are you doing? You just said you love to do X and there's no X here. Like, it's just nowhere in your life. It's not on your schedule. It's not in your relationship. It's not in your conversations. It's not in your project. You're spending no time, money, or energy on this thing that you say that you love. So either you're bullshitting somebody, like you don't love that thing, or you do love that thing, and you just haven't yet like integrated that into your lived experience for whatever reason, because there's maybe some attachment to what you should be doing or right. the resistance you were talking about or like whatever it is, like which is how yeah. it is for any human being. So it's more like, you know, that's the coach's job. We get to actually say, oh, you said you love this thing is not happening. Is this something you really love? <laughs> you know, like, is this really a thing? a thing? Yeah, it is. Okay, great. So how about we, rather than creating a project about one-on-one coaching, so as to get to group coaching in the future, why don't we do the group coaching project now? And it seems really simple and self-evident, but it's like, that's exactly the piece, right? Like, You know, we're always struggling to kind of see ourselves separate from like some concept about ourselves from society or our parents or whatever we picked up along the way. Right. Mm. So it's just as simple as listening to people, you know, or asking them. um, I know a coach who has this great question, which is, what do you yearn for? Like, how does this project attend to your yearning or does it? (laughs) Right which is such a perfect, because it's such an experiential question, right? It has nothing to do with the, the content of the project. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, guess I want to come back to then, um, well, we could talk more about measurements <clears throat> or we could talk about the other two. Uh, kind well, of- yeah, you know, I think this actually connects a lot to possibility, right? Because like the possibility of your life is that you get to have an experience that is the experience that you choose Mm. fundamentally, right? Like that's the possibility as opposed to some other experience. And the authenticity piece is like actually owning whether or not (laughs) your life, the content of your life speaks to that possibility. And do you have the courage to confront that and um, allow that possibility, that yearning, that potentiality, that, that idea of yourself, that idea that, that delights you, right? Whether you're going to allow that to be integrated into your life or whether you're gonna do something else with your life for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. I know coaches who are, uh, they're machines about coaching, you know, pack schedules, always on the go, always busy, brilliant, 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 brilliant coaches, right? But there's like a deflection of what's possible for their life because busyness doesn't speak to, like that's not living, that's not being alive, that's being busy. Mm-hmm. So what is actual the actual experience of being alive for you? 
Right. There might be like, oh, but I love making a difference. Yes. And making a difference and busy are not connected. There's no relationship between making a difference and busy. So what I see and what I'm hearing is that you're busy and overwhelmed and stressed out and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So how do we make a difference and take that other piece out of the way so that you can be the possibility that you're choosing, right. And have that experience rather than the prevailing experience of being busy. Right? So it's like, I hear, is it that you're playing with people's ontology there or their, their, mm-hmm. their um, you know, the ideas they're fused with that they don't see mm-hmm. and then, yeah, they can see it and suddenly right. um, there's possibility that opens up because, <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, possibility um, is a real bitch. I mean, people have, coaches coach to possibility and have a really wacky relationship to possibility. <laughs> it's so like, it goes in and out so quickly and we can stand for the possibility of another so much more easily than we can stand for it on our own lives, you know, like, and like how to really, capture that thing and bolster it and live into it as a daily practice, you know, it's really can be challenging. I mean, just, um, it speaks to me about, you know, you said earlier in the conversation about how, you know, coaches train and then, um, you know, maybe there's a point where they're, they're not training as much, they're doing the coaching. Mm -hmm. And I, I just feel how, important it is especially through what you're saying that we're in this like the livingness of our own development as a coach you know Mm -hmm. the the kind of artistry of that livingness and um because it because it um kind of brings in a certain aliveness like I think you use the word the word authenticity it's like Mm -hmm. well what what is that really you know like right other ways we could describe it but it's like that place of, for me, of, of like realness, aliveness, yeah. where there's mm-hmm. an openness and a, um, an energy that comes through, you know, that's not been yeah. dulled down by <laughs> the lack of authenticity. Sure. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, the whole, um, like no longer needing to have any skills you know, like it's really an opportunity, like a lot of people who do whetstone really refine their coaching philosophy. You know, they really, they, um, they really drop into their voices, like their individual self-expression as coaches, you know, it's sort of like, um, like a place where if there's any sort of remaining, like how to do coaching right, or what it's supposed to look like, or any, any, any remaining residual stuff, like that stuff gets to be really left behind and there's like a maturity that gets to be stepped into from a philosophical perspective like from a you know like in in more like a one's voice right and how how does that how do you see that happening through the program like um what is it that allows that to take place well i think actually um i think the readings actually really help with that because one of the intentions behind the readings is that you're hearing all of these different voices so you're hearing all types of people speaking to things that we deeply care about and they're not coaches which is hysterical to me because like i think as coaches we're like we're the only people talking about blah 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 it's like no 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 no. there are so many people like all over the world and all these different disciplines and for millennia who have been talking about the stuff that we're talking about and so like really getting um like hearing how people talk about things just the language that people use and you know reading Like we read, there's a little mini spirituality unit we do where we read um, a a translation of St. Thomas uh, Aquinas. And then we read uh, Chogram Trungpa's uh, Sacred Path of the Warrior from Shambhala. And then um, what's the third one that we read there? Oh, the Gita. We read the the first section of the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, we have an inquiry about um, faith in God or universe, faith in human beings and a faith in the, an ultimate reality. So the Gita is the ultimate reality one and the Shambhala is the human being ones. And the Thomas is the God one. Cause he's just like gushing about God. He's like, God's oh, incredible. You know, like the way nobody in modern in modernity talks about God. Right. And so we like, we look at like just this idea of faith 
and where we have breakdowns in faith and what would be made possible if we actually had faith in these three things. Like, what does that make possible if you're living your life from a context where you have faith in spirit, faith in other human beings and faith in an ultimate reality? How does that shift your experience? So it's like a real opportunity, but then, but these are all different people from different times, different cultures, different ways of speaking. Some people like the reading or don't like, you know, all these opinions about the content and how it's done. And, but it allows people to start thinking about their own voice in the matter of faith and what that means for them. Uh, yeah. Because um, it's not me, it's not me talking. It's other people talking. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm struck by how important do you think this is, particularly for our times? Yeah, because like I think this just to preface, I should have probably said this the first thing, but um, I think this is what we're being invited to as a as a community, a collective community community now, coaches that Mm -hmm. actually um, that we need to. I guess I'm coming back to the cross-disciplinary approach again, like how essential that is that we don't just imbibe one approach, like an ontological approach or a Mm -hmm. developmental approach or whatever, but that or somatic or we're, we're um, finding our own voice through that reading of all these different perspectives and voices across the millennia. I think that's wonderful. And Mm -hmm. um, that's, I can really imagine that's where coaches land in that power of their own voice suddenly. Yeah, sir. And like, you know, and some of the readings are just really bold. You know, we read like Audre Lorde and everybody's like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's a little bit like a liberal arts program that way. Like, in fact, one person was like, I'm finally rounding out the liberal arts education I never got because we're reading like all these different things. But it really, there's so many people who speak so powerfully. And um, like the writing of a manifesto, for example, like you know, we have an assignment to write a manifesto or to write your eulogy. Like what was, what happened? What was the point of your life? What was the, what did you say with it? What was the end of the story? And when you read people like in coaching, we don't do manifestos. We just ask questions and give reflections. (laughs) Like, you know, it's a very like, kind of like deflected way of like moving somebody's process along. Right. But these people, they can say whatever the hell they want. You know, they can just say like, pow, you know, this is the thing. This is the belief. This is the perspective. And it's so liberating to read something like that and to get like, oh, I get to actually step into a very bold way of speaking and a very bold way of embodying, you know, my core values, my core beliefs as a coach. And that it's you know, interdisciplinary and cross generational and et cetera. Um, I think it's useful for our times, certainly, because we're in a time where we're really reevaluating sort of like just the dominance of a Western patriarchal perspective. But also um, I think it's important for us as coaches because it's a very weird field in that you don't have to have, you know, thought about any of this stuff before like you just sign up for a program and get some training and do it right like there's no necessity you know the ICF core competencies don't ask you if you've had like where you're at in your values and beliefs and coaching philosophy you know like it's more like what are your skills as a coach and enabling a process so um, having a deeper cut I think is a big opportunity for our profession yeah um, right, right with you. And um, <laughs> I just want to pick up something you said about reading the manifestos, uh, mm-hmm. these like bold manifestos. And actually, um, it sounds like there's a kind of transmission going on there for these coaches too. you know, that um, at, at least that's the way I kind of picked up what you're saying is that by reading these manifestos, people, it opens up something for the people reading it. Totally. And they're able to perhaps embody something through that. And yeah. I wondered if that was the case and what you see happening there, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely the case. I mean, just, uh, I mean, it's just inspiring. And I think that that's where, I mean, one of the, you know, if there are a few different like um, ethics of whetstone in the background, one is that the program be of use for people, but the other one is that it'd be fundamentally aspirational or inspiring. So when people are inspired, you know, then they are, um, they're lit up to, like to step into a voice, to step into a power, 
you know, like to step into their power because you're actually seeing how other people have stepped in, not in a coaching context, like other people have stepped into their power through like their art, like through their declaration, through their writing. And, um, and therefore there's just so much, um, there's permission and there's also play there. It's like, Oh, like I want to play with that. I want to play with what I see, what I want to say, how I would say something. And uh, that can be very, you know, um, nourishing for, for people. Hmm. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Um, I guess there's, there was a fourth, um, was there a fourth one yeah, that we haven't covered? Spirit would be the fourth one. I mean, I touched on yeah. it a little bit, but um, right. spirit is another one. And then that's also related to possibility. I mean, it's all sort of like how we deal with the physical and the metaphysical, really. <laughs> like, you know, there's the physical, like your experience as a human being and the measures. And then there's the metaphysical, which is like, you know, possibility or spirit and that stuff, which is not so, you know, necessarily physical. And while like there's no... Um, religious um, orientation of the program we do play with a lot of ideas around um you know just sort of uh how do i want to say this like the divine system that we're all a part of <laughs> so maybe i would language it like just sort of the like what is the limitation of our subjective perspective and how do we like really grow and step into the more of the allness of it or the universe or however you want to language that for yourself. But it provides this whole other opening for people like to be connected beyond here. Like I can then be connected and it has relevance to me, but then I also have a say about it and I have to potentially deal with my stuff about that because I could also be very confronting. Like, you know, it just invites this whole other conversation. So um, what's possible and like one's relationship to possibility, like spirit may or may not be possible for you. Like there's a possibility conversation about spirituality. For some people it is mm -hmm. and for some people it isn't. But then we get to have that conversation, <laughs> right? So it's all interconnected. And I'm, I'm imagining, at least from in my own experience, the... Um expanded sense of self that came through a spiritual inquiry and practice mm -hmm. um, which kind of like loosened the tight knot of ego somewhat mm. um, and I, I mean in the sense of like there's a good functioning part of ego which is really useful but there's a there's a kind of protective yeah controlling side and that <laughs> part um, loosened somewhat and that enabled me to live into possibility more mm -hmm. in the process yeah, totally. And really like for me, for me personally, the spiritual conversation is always a love conversation. Like it just always comes back to love again and again. And I can't really avoid that personally. I'm like, oh, there it is again. You know, like, and so, and then that is really like such a, you know, like, are you open hearted? Like, or how open are you to all of it? Like, are you really, what are the limits of your love and how you express it and who and with whom? and beyond just sort of you know in the physical space and etc i don't know it gets really hit it gets <laughs> it gets pretty far out for me pretty quickly but that's where i where i always end up with it and i'm, I'm imagining the phenomenological experience of love too mm. oh entirely yeah yeah mm. so they're all so deeply like interwoven and it's really beautiful because when you read the text, like they will say things like different people will say similar things in like different places. And like when I'm reading them, like one time, what was it? Oh, somebody didn't get to the end of the assignment. So I read it out loud in the, in the seminar and like, I'm reading it and I'm like reading a line, like, oh, and that's the Dewey piece, which I mentioned to you. And like, oh, and I'm like, oh, and that's that from there. Like it was a JD Salinger piece. And I'm like referring to all these other readings because everything like they're all like talking about these same things as well. Like it's all embedded really beautifully. Mm. So that, that is amusing to me personally. I don't think anybody else cares about that, but that's where I find a lot of delight is in like the interconnectivity um, of different authors talking about different things, but the same thing, you know. Do you, do you know what it is about that that delights you? You know, I don't know, but like, 
I have this weird gift of being able to take disparate things and finding the kernel connection between them. Like it's weird. I mean, <laughs> like, like I was listening to this piece of music that I'd never heard before. It was this new trumpet piece. It was this modern piece that had been just recently written. And it occurred to me that um, that piece gesturally matched this piece called Trio A, which is by this modern dancer from like 1960 something. And Yvonne Rayner is her name. And I found, I did that, that thing, you know, with um, the Wizard of Oz and Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, where if you start them at the same time, it works like the soundtrack. Uh -huh. So I did that with Trio A and this trumpet piece and it totally worked and it blew my mind. I'm like, how do I do that? Like, I don't even fucking know. Like, I just have this intuition about things that connect in a very kind of um, real, tangible kind of phenomenological way. And so I think when I designed the whetstone over the course of the weekend, it was just like my brain having a a play date with itself and just uh, putting together all of these things. It's, it's a little bit, it's like inside of the realm of like gift and brilliance that I don't need to think about too much. It's just very natural to me. And I just sort of let it, let it be. So. Yeah. It sounds like some kind of like pattern, pattern recognition. <laughs> totally. It's totally um, strange. You know, like synesthetic pattern recognition it's really weird. capacity mm -hmm. that, you know. Um, it's fun yeah. though. I mean, like, you know, and then when it works, you're like, hell yeah. It's like, check that out. And then, you know, I want to tell everybody. And then it's like, this is so obscure. Like nobody cares about either this trauma piece or like the Yvonne Rainer piece. Like, it's like, that's nice, Burita. You know, moving yeah. on. <laughs> um, what, I guess I'm curious about the outcome of Whetstone um, mm -hmm. in terms of, you, you. I think you've talked about it quite a bit already, but, you know, I'm curious what you see as a common outcome for people who are going through this, you know, more spacious, non-linear approach, mm -hmm. these readings, their own reflections, reading mm -hmm. manifestos. Right. Inquiries. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, I would say that um, they really do come out with a more clarity around who they are as coaches mm. and what they're here for. Um, a lot of people, refine their voices and get more confidence as coaches. Um, everybody makes more money weirdly. Cause I don't have a, there's no money conversation in the program whatsoever, but like there's a big abundance that occurs through doing the program. People really stop dicking around basically. So a lot of stuff that, um, then there's no real tolerance for dicking around in the program. And there wouldn't be. And like, and plus again, like with these readings and you're reading these people who like did the work and wrote the poems and wrote the pieces and, you know, they are living their full life. And so there's no sense in not living your full life. So a lot of things that a lot of, uh, to use a landmark term, a lot of rackets get resolved. You know, they just get bankrupted because why bother? I don't want to live that life. I don't want that experience anymore. Like, so um, there can be just a lot of, um, a lot more play, a lot more ease, <laughs> a lot more money and uh, sort of a much more empowered relationship to why I'm here. You know, like yeah. what I have to contribute to this conversation. Yeah. 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 I, I, um... I hear that kind of um, journey of like, I don't know if it's like po a post-conventional move where, you know, we found that freedom and our own voice, but mm -hmm. also at the same time, our our own voice is one which is like very multi-perspectively informed, you know, mm -hmm. and fluid. Mm -hmm. and with, that, with that ease and playfulness and fluidity yeah. comes like a lot of power, actually. Totally. Um, like a like healthy power which can mean I make more money and I impact people more deeply. Yeah. Um, but there's like a, there's like a not, um, I don't know. Like, so my, I have a, I, I'm not alone in this, but like that the, the word coaching to me seems like a small word for what some of us do. Like it's just sort of doesn't really capture it. And um, I feel like there's, um, it's almost like people don't feel alone you know, like we're not isolated as coaches, we're like, we're a part of such a bigger fabric and it gives us sort of a place really even like historically or like societally, like we can start to see our role. Like it's not just as like late capitalism manifestation hybrid between like consulting 
therapy and like new age thinking. Like it's like, it's bigger than that. And it's deeper than that. And it has roots that go back further than that. So that whole underpinning, I think really, um, whether consciously or not, I think it serves to give people a place to stand. Um, that's much more uh, powerful for them. I, I think we're, um, again, it behooves us to kind of um, be in this inquiry and um, evolve the, the field. And mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like there's a bit of a danger. You know, you mentioned the ICF and great things they've done. And the more we define what coaching is and ring fence it, the danger is that it stops evolving and that um, it, it's, I find more and more coaches saying like the word coaching is just doesn't fit for me anymore. It's too small. Mm -hmm. What you right. just said. And yeah. uh, what I do is more than, more than that. And so I find that very interesting, you know, because mm -hmm. it fits for me too. It's like, so I don't know if we need to like update what that word is mm -hmm. or find a new word. Right. Know, but, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not not coaching, but it's way more than coaching. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like both and, and, um, and it requires then like some amount of translation. Like if I'm talking to a new client about what it is that I do and I'm perfectly happy to do coaching, like straight coaching. Like, you know, I like, I like helping people. I like people being empowered by what they're up to, but my, um, my spirit and the place where I of most value is in a much deeper conversation. So, um, so then to also call that coaching is a little weird. <laughs> it's like, how do I parse this out? Yeah. The, uh, who was it? There's a, someone I know, Rand Stegen showed me a model they have of mm -hmm. like transformational coaching. And below that they had like, um, I'm going to remember it's like, this is the, the, the level below was like the deployment of a very sophisticated coaching methodology yeah mm -hmm. like very effective uh you're you're a great coach mm -hmm. and you're deploying that methodology but transformational coaching was where you you really let go of the need to deploy any methodology mm -hmm. in any way right even of any outcome and you're playing in this much more like free form like space and mm -hmm. um i don't know if that's kind of yeah i wonder how you describe that that deeper thing that you're doing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't have an answer yet. And it's, it's great because I'm working on my website and I have to go with all this new language and I'm just like, uh, -uh. like none of the language works. I'll just write about how the language doesn't work. Right. Well, <laughs> I might have to do for now. Like this is exactly. what it's not like. Uh, <laughs> Precisely. It's like, and I don't know what it is, but we're, we're heading there. I'll, we'll figure it out. It's happening. It's part of the evolution of the field. So. Um. I, as as we like um, come towards the end of our conversation, I've got like a couple of questions I'm going to mix, mash together and see mm -hmm. where you take it. And mm -hmm. um, one of them is um, like, what do you think the future of coaching is? Like, what's the future of coaching? And mm -hmm. I'm not like expecting you to have thought through any answer to that. I'm just going to see if anything comes up. And mm -hmm. the second one is like, what's inspiring you, um, you know, that you think coaches might be interested to check out as well hmm. and we'll point to Let's your own see. work as well uh, at the end of our conversation um well i hope that the future of coaching becomes much more engaged in um in moving people out of a conversation which is exclusively about themselves and into like a citizenship or global conversation like who we are as global citizens and I feel like that's part of the evolution of the field where um, like if I, if you're a new client and you say, wow, what can I do with coaching? And I say, oh, you could look at, you know, your relationship or, you know, you can look at your business. Like I'll set up a bunch of domains as examples, but they're all about you. And now I also include, or you can look at who you are as a citizen or who you are on the planet or what you feel like. I start throwing out other ideas because in the, in the early days of my coaching, I didn't even point to those things. And coaching wasn't really about those things. It was about like sort of a project in your life or a domain of your life. Or maybe there would be like an organization which had a specific vision or commitment. But when you start to move out beyond uh, an individual locus or an individual vision into like other visions, which may or may not be compatible, like that's where I feel like coaching 
can start to play a really dynamic and necessary role in our world today. You know, so it's not just that you're alive, but also that you can live with other people who are also alive, right? You know, and like doing their life in a kind of a way or with their needs and their wants and their priorities. So do, do you think coaches have a role to play in these times, you know, with all the crises we face and the, you know, this time between worlds, it feels like sometimes mm -hmm. um, polarization. Do you think coaches have an important role to play? Um, I think some coaches are stepping into roles and I think the field lends itself to having a role, but we're like itty bitty babies about it. I just don't think we've even thought in those terms, but to be fair, I don't think the, the planet has thought in those terms, you know, like we are so barely waking up to our interconnectivity, like COVID kind of did it, not completely, you know, mm. environmental crisis is kind of doing it and not completely. Like there's just so much resistance to getting into interconnectivity. So, um, you know, it seems like it's a very nascent kind of a place currently, but I think that we could absolutely, like it would work for us to move in that direction. I think that that would be compatible with our work in a big way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just a reflection on what you said about global citizens. Like I, I, cause I, what that brings to mind is like service too. Like how, mm -hmm. how can I serve? I find that such a powerful way to cut through a lot of, um, yeah like personal like if i'm focused on like oh um am i like good enough am i confident enough do i feel mm -hmm. right to like do this workshop or whatever it is like mm -hmm. but if i just go like actually i can how do i want to serve my mm -hmm. community or the world mm -hmm. um it just frees me up like it just mm -hmm. completely frees me up I'm totally changed your priorities <laughs> totally exactly yeah. And yeah. then I don't give a fuck like about mm -hmm. <laughs> doing it right or something. It's like, I'm just mm -hmm. sharing my piece that's here to be shared in this moment with a full heart, yeah. you know? And totally. uh, so it's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then um, I like that. Then what a, yeah. Yeah. Interconnectivity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I do think coaches can play an important role in these times. If we, yeah, I agree. If yeah. we, you know, if we make the kind of shifts you're talking about with, with Whetstone too, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that it can have a ripple effect out. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there anything you want to share about what's exciting you at the moment? And maybe, <laughs> what's like, exciting me at the moment? I, I get that might, that could be a whole long conversation, but yeah. you know, maybe something you, that's interesting for coaches listening um, to check out. Or... Hmm. You know, I'm in a pretty quiet space right now. I'm in sort of a, I was actually sharing with my own coach that I'm enjoying the summer. I think for the first time since I was a kid, like I just worked, <laughs> I just worked. I just, at some point I just started working and I just didn't stop working. And now like I have a very spacious summer, so I'm not doing a whole lot of intake. So I am interestingly reading the, the book. I'm like almost done with speaking, being a little proper. This is the book about the forum. I don't know if you've seen this before, but it's a transcript of one of the early forums with Werner Erhard leading it. And it connects yeah. the work of the forum to the work of Werner Erhard. Like there's like a, an embedded, I mean, not, um, to Heidegger. So there's like an embedded conversation about Heidegger in there with like quotes to Heidegger's work. It's very wonky. I love it. <laughs> Cause I'm like such a wonk, but, um, yeah, so that's, I'm enjoying that a lot. It's What's good to like, called again? it's called speaking being speaking being cool yeah yeah so um yeah it's cool mm. yeah nice um yeah. and then i do want to ask like where we can find out more about whetstone and your sure. work as well yeah so whetstone is um it's on my website which is marita bolus coach it's just my name with the word coach at the end.com so that's super easy to get to um i am revising my website so it'll be new at some point but it's going to have the same the same name and then there's a whetstone tab there and it just talks about the whole program yeah so that's where my coaching work is yeah yeah cool then uh, <laughs> i just want to thank you uh for uh, i really enjoyed this and i'm um i really feel appreciative of your i don't know what, what the word be like the syn synesthetic mind that you have you know? <laughs> um I, I really think that's important actually for, for a lot of coaches. Um, but I, I really feel you embodying that. So thanks. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of fun.
Very yeah. cool. Thanks for having me here. It's really a great conversation. A lot of fun. Great questions. Yeah. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Thank you.